to laugh and dance and live in the teeth of whatever tragedies an uncaring fate threw in your path was the Basque way. The stories Sibby's mother told, stories handed down through generations of indomitable women, painted those defiant sufferers as heroes. Sibby feared she was not the stuff of which such heroes were made. She was hungry, her feet hurt, and she was afraid. Of those things, afraid was the worst by far. She was so tired of being afraid. A knot in her stomach, a tightness in her throat, a prickle of unease sliding over her skin. Familiar sensations all, which did not make their sudden onset feel any less dreadful. Sixteen-year-old Sibby, Sibyl Francesca Hellinger, pushed back a wayward strand of coffee-brown hair that had escaped from the heavy bun coiled at her nape, and frowned out into the misty darkness enshrouding the Calle Fernando el Católico. Her pulse thrummed as she clung to the desperate hope that she was not seeing what she thought she was. Since the fighting had moved close enough so that the residents of this ancient village high in the western Pyrenees could actually hear gunfire in the surrounding hills, fear had become her all-too-frequent visitor. But this, this was different. This was because of something that was happening now, right before her eyes, in the wide, tree-lined street just beyond where she stood watching the regular weekly celebration on the night before market day. Have we left it too late? The thought made her mouth go dry. I want a sweet. Five-year-old Margaret's restless movement beside her reclaimed her attention. Gripping the child's hand tighter, Sibby cast an impatient glance down. There's no money for a sweet. Or anything else, Sibby could have added, but didn't. But I want one. Round blue eyes in a cherubic face surrounded by gold ringlets stared longingly at the squares of honey and almond turon being hawked to the crowd by a woman bearing a tray of them. The yeasty aroma of the pastry made Sibby's stomach growl. For the last few weeks, she and her mother had been rationing their diminishing resources by skipping the evening meal so that the younger ones could eat. Ask Mama to buy you one later. Margaret's warm little fingers, which Sibby kept a secure hold on because, as angelic as the youngest of the four Hellinger sisters looked, she wasn't, twitched in hers. She won't. You know she won't. She'll say she doesn't have any money either. That was undoubtedly true. In fact, Sibby had only said it in hopes of placating her little sister until their mother returned. Thinking fast, Margaret had mostly outgrown tantrums, but not entirely. Sibby was just about to come out with an alternate suggestion when 13-year-old Louisa jumped in. You know we're poor now, so stop being such a baby. 
Cross because she hadn't been permitted to go to the cinema with a group of her friends, Louisa spoke sharply. The thick, straight, butterscotch blonde hair she'd chopped to chin length herself the night before. Nobody has long hair anymore, she'd wailed in the face of their mother's horror, had already lost its grip on the rag curls she'd forced into it. She looked like she was wearing a thatch of broom straw on her head, but Sibby was far too good a sister and far too preoccupied at the moment to point that out. I don't like being poor. Margaret's lower lip quivered. None of us do. I specially don't like... Louisa cut her off. You're whining. You know what Mama said about whining? I am not. A match flared in the street. Tuning her sisters out, Sibby focused on what the brief incandescence revealed as it rose to light a cigarette, red tip glowing brightly, before arcing like a tiny shooting star to the ground. Sibby looked beyond the cigarette to the dark shape behind it, the dark shapes behind it. She wasn't mistaken. Soldiers, their soldiers, the Loyalist Republicans, their uniforms unmistakable, poured into the street from seemingly everywhere, and the numbers were increasing. Her heartbeat quickened. Does no one else see? Biting down on her lower lip, she glanced around. The crowd clapped and swayed to the rollicking music of the highly prized town band, and ate and danced and played games, and she concluded that no one else did. The village leaders who were present appeared unaware. Father Esteban talked to the woman behind the refreshment table as she ladled out a bowl of spicy fish soup for him. His honour the mayor played moose, the popular card game, with three friends. The Count of Arana, the town's most prominent citizen, stood with his arms crossed and a stern gaze fixed on his fifteen-year-old daughter, Teresa, as she walked away from him with her hand tucked into the arm of Emilio Aguirre. Sibby's stomach gave an odd little flutter. Watching them reminded her of just how much of an outsider she was here in this quaint small town with its red-roofed white houses and narrow cobbled streets. Emilio was her age. He was the handsomest boy in school, and he had been kind to her. She had hoped, but no, to hope for anything where he was concerned was foolishness. She and her mother and sisters were only temporary residents. She worked as a part-time waitress, and her mother had worked in a dress shop before being fired three weeks ago when the shop owner's husband had displayed too much interest in her. And that, of course, had immediately become a topic for much discussion among the town gossips whose gleeful suspicions that the former Marina Diaz, now Hellinger, who had come home with her children but without her husband, was a floozy, were thus seemingly confirmed. All those factors combined to put them near the bottom of the social ladder, in this place where the wealthy local aristocracy had been comfortably in place for generations, 
And they, with their German father, would have been outsiders anyway. And Teresa was beautiful and rich and, well, there it was, foolishness. She had no time for foolishness.